0: Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast focused on the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. The recent flooding here in British Columbia devastated many homes and businesses, in addition to the impact on critical infrastructure like rail lines and highways. The recovery effort is well underway in many of the affected regions, but the effects of this will be felt for years to come. Calgary was hit by severe flooding as a result of heavy rainfall in 2013, and today we are going to talk about what we can learn from their recovery. I'm joined today by Calgary Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Deborah Yedlin and Calgary Counselling Centre CEO Dr. Robbie Babbins wagner Debra worked for many years as a business journalist, writing for the Financial Post, Globe and Mail, and Calgary Herald. She has contributed regularly as a business commentator for CBC Radio and Television and CTV since 1996. Along with her leadership of the Calgary Chamber, Debra is the 14th Chancellor of the University of Calgary. With a background in investment banking and having spent over two decades telling the stories of Calgary business, communities, economic evolution, and growth... Deborah will no doubt bring an interesting perspective to our conversation today. Dr. Robbie babbins wagner has led a remarkable career as a leader in the field of mental health. She is the CEO of the Calgary Counselling Centre and was in that role during the 2013 Calgary floods, during which time she had a particularly significant impact in the community. doctor babbins Babins-Wagner also serves as an adjunct professor within the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Calgary, and has conducted leading-edge research on mental health and best practices in the field. She received her PhD in Social Work from the University of Calgary, a Master's of Social Work from Carleton University, and Bachelor's Degrees in Social Work and Psychology from McGill University. Thank you both for making the time to speak with me today. Deborah and Robbie, it's uh, really nice to have you here.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for inviting us.
0: So I'm going to start first before we get to the flooding, and just check in um, to see how Calgary is is weathering the COVID nineteen pandemic from the business perspective and, and really an individual level. Deborah, maybe you could speak to that from what you're seeing in your role at the Calgary Chamber of
1: Commerce. Sure, uh, you know, just want to start with the fact that uh, Calgary actually was on its back foot already before the COVID pandemic hit because of the downturn in the energy sector. Uh, Which resulted in so many layoffs starting in 2015. And so we were just crawling back to a place where we were starting to see signs that companies were going to be reinvesting, that there was some uh, renewed activity in the energy sector. And then COVID hit along with an OPEC price war. And this just knocked Calgary and Calgary businesses back significantly. So, now of course you've heard the story. We have 30 percent uh, vacancy uh, rates downtown Calgary. So it's you know that that kind of hive of activity is very, very um, stripped down we've had 70% of businesses in Calgary have at least uh, accessed one form of government support and the challenges aren't over because so many businesses have closed so many businesses took on additional debt in order to survive and get through the uh, the pandemic and so it's you know and now we have inflationary pressures with the and the supply chain issues that are also having an impact on Calgary businesses so Um, On the one hand, we're starting to see the sort of we're hoping that we're coming out of the other end of the the pandemic. But having said that, businesses are still going to be needing some further support and we're definitely not um, on a on a uh, clear runway yet. Mm -hmm. Having said that, too, though, I would say that we've had some great. Uh, announcements in terms of economic diversification recently whether it's the accelerators coming to Calgary in the form of plug and play emphasis amazon's going to set up a cloud service there's a lot of things that have changed in the last uh, last two years where there's been a real focus on how do we diversify the economy what do we need to do to make that happen and that is starting to have to gain a lot of momentum so i think that's really a great part of what's happened but you know at the on the ground level it's tough still and people are not interested in another sort of round of, of a pandemic uh, virus causing any more problems.
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that we've learned from the pandemic is that it's been uneven in the way it's impacted individuals and communities And Calgary, certainly one of those communities that has had, uh, I think, a tougher go of it. Robbie, I uh, want to bring you in and ask about mental health, because I think everyone globally would say that there has been an impact to mental health because of the pandemic. So in your role as the head of the Calgary Counseling Centre, what are you seeing and, and, and how significant is it?
2: Well, this has been probably the most interesting 21 months of my career. In the sense of we had, uh, we had to pivot very quickly because we were, uh, we, up until March 16th, we were providing in-person service to probably 100% of our clients And we had about 36 hours to transition from um, in-person services to virtual or online service. And we did that uh, in part because we had already been testing it. And we've been testing, inviting clients to participate in online or virtual counseling. And we have the resources in place to do it. We had some learning from some of our staff who've been part of that pilot. And quite frankly, had you asked me and my director of counseling at that point, if we should publicize the online counseling, we both said no, we're too worried that we'd be overwhelmed. And lo and behold, on March 16th, we had no choice. Uh, we had a choice, but we decided it would be we could have stayed in person, but it was too risky uh, for our staff and for our team and for our clients. So we've moved to 100% virtual services and have provided over 50,000 hours of counseling online since that time. But wow. well, so, what did we see? Which is um, so as would be typical in any emergency and pandemic, and this is what we also saw in the flood in 2013 is. Pretty much immediately after the pandemic started and the stay-at-home order began, people, um, uh, people canceled the counseling appointments. They were afraid to come in. They were worried about online counseling. They really didn't want to do it and wanted to wait till the pandemic was over. And, um, you know, weeks later we got calls back from people saying, I think we I need to connect now because I don't think this is going to be over um, soon enough. And so we saw a drop between March and June, about 30% drop in visits. But then in June, as summer uh, took hold, we saw a steady increase of demand of, in the demand for service that was 30% over the year before, and it's continued at that rate till now. So we have been super busy providing services to children, uh, youth, um, adults, couples, groups, et cetera. And we've gotten pretty good at this online uh, work and clients really love it. That's the positive of this is, is it's ease of use, but it's been a terrible time for people um, in that people are, are, we're seeing more anxiety. We're seeing more stress. We're seeing more relationship difficulties. And I think the biggest challenge overall is the idea of uncertainty, meaning we thought, Two weeks ago, that we were kind of seeing some certainty and we could plan for the future. And once again, we have no idea how to plan the next two weeks. Never mind the next two months. And um, and people are distressed again. So our numbers are going up a bit as well.
0: Gosh, that's so true, Robbie. And you know, I think about here in British Columbia, and I'll shift the conversation to the flooding now. But those individuals and families and businesses in the southern interior and the Fraser Valley, who the month of November was just a one heck of a time for them. Deborah, when you saw some of these headlines in British Columbia, you know, your thoughts were probably brought back to Calgary in 2013. Did you, did you have a correlation or did you have some thoughts that kind of thought, wow, you know, they're going through what we went through several years ago?
1: Absolutely. As soon as we started to see the the rain and the flooding and the mudslides, I just thought, oh, oh, my goodness, where, you know, how bad is it going to be when it's finally done? How long is it going to take to put everything back together? And just thinking about the individuals, the families uh, and the businesses that have been impacted, it is just so devastating. And, and it's been more sustained in terms of the weather than it was in Calgary obviously. And so that just presents another challenge because every time you think you've come through another uh, weather event, if it's not rain, it's going to be snow. And so it's just the, the challenges and the uncertainty in terms of how you are going to deal with this coming off the pandemic? Again, like just building out, Robbie just said, there's been so many challenges already. And now this is just, you know, whereas Calgary sort of went into the pandemic on its back foot, BC is not going to be put on its back foot because of this, uh, this disaster but the images were so much like what we saw in Calgary obviously I mean we didn't have mudslides but it was really um you just felt this this stomach clench almost because you know exactly what was going to have to happen how much time it was going to take to clean everything up how are you going to put the you know how are you going to keep people safe where are they going to be they're going to be dislocated it's just it's um it's just uh it just brought back a lot of memories and the impacts
0: uh, are being felt in Alberta and across the country when it comes to supply chain. So this isn't something that is just impacting businesses and individuals in British Columbia.
1: No, and then, you know we knew we were already having supply chain issues in terms of getting goods uh, into into uh, Canada, getting goods out. And now this is just going to be, so this is exacerbated. I mean, when you think about the fact that we hear from small businesses, for example, that it used to cost them $2,300 for a can to bring goods that they could, raw materials they could use for their businesses, and now it's almost $30,000. You realize what kind of uh, pressures are gonna be brought to bear on businesses and how you know are consumers gonna pay that increased uh, cost? That's a good question. So it's, and the thing is too, I think people have not necessarily recognized where their food supply comes from and this what's happening in the Fraser Valley is going to have a huge impact on the food supply in Western Canada and that's not something that is to be trivialized in any way.
0: And we found out just this week that hundreds of farms are still under evacuation order in the Fraser Valley and Robbie when you think back to to that piece of it at the Calgary floods I think about 80,000 people in Calgary were yeah. evacuated from their homes and we saw, we have seen significant evacuations here in British Columbia. And as I say, there's still farms under evacuation order in the Fraser Valley. What does that displacement of people and businesses do to, to mental health?
2: That kind of displacement is really disorienting to people because they really don't know what to do, don't know how to plan. And um, um, people were just sitting stunned um, to trying to figure out what to do. And I think one of the things we forget in disasters is that the first thing that people need are place to stay, place to stay warm, place to sleep, food, money, cash is really important at that time because they can't get to a bank. They can't take money out. Um, so, I think phase one of the thinking, which I know is already happening, is how do you give people, how do you focus on basic needs? What do people need that is really basic in order to survive? and then what's involved in the cleanup and what other kinds of resources do you need to bring to the table? So one of the learnings of the Calgary flood was when everybody came together, all the resources were brought, and I'm speaking now about in High River, which is about a half an hour south of Calgary, which was one of the communities that was most badly hit during the flood. It's all resources, both public and government and private resources came together in gyms in in communities so that people could go from table to table to get the information that they needed. There were cash cards available. Insurance companies were there. Government insurance resources were there. Uh, Government resources were there to help people who uh, saw that their homes were devastated and they couldn't be rebuilt and they couldn't go back to live in their homes and how they would manage. Now, why why was that important in the early days is to give people some sense, beginning, very beginning sense of hope at a time where people felt really hopeless. The stories
0: of the collaboration and the cooperation uh, in the last several weeks have been Really remarkable, and many of our members uh, at the Board of Trade. My hats off to them for the hard, hard work they're doing to support the road crews and the utility crews, and and all three levels of government have really come to the table too. Especially when it comes to trying to repair the major arteries. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, thinking about the Coquihalla yeah. Highway in particular yeah. and the rail lines. So, Deborah, when when you think back to 2013 and the Calgary floods, then how long did it take the city to rebuild? those pieces that might have been damaged and and what could we learn from from your experience
1: it took quite a while to get everything uh back on track i would say we're still dealing with mitigation efforts which is kind of interesting every spring it seems that they're shoring up another bank of the of the of the river of the elbow uh river just to make sure that communities are safe the biggest challenge was um the electricity because there was electricity that was damaged. Everybody was worried about flooding in in some of the uh in, in the parkades in a number of the buildings downtown because there's a lot of water that's underneath Calgary, underneath the buildings were sort of built on this river system. So there's a lot of uh weaknesses that were manifesting themselves as as a result of the flood. So that was an ongoing process. I would say it was probably easily a year before everything was sort of back to where it absolutely needed to be, but you know it was several weeks before you could say it was safe right so that was that was fine but I think the bigger issue is that we still see ongoing work even today in terms of shoring up um, the riverbanks to make sure that they are reinforced in case there is another flood we finally have agreement and a green light and construction starting on a on the spring bank dam outside the city which was subject to a number of reviews and uh, opposition um, until recently and it's finally starting to uh, to to be built Absolutely critical for the city because this is what will protect the city in case there is another 100 year uh, flood event um, that, um, you know, uh, this is this is a critical piece of infrastructure. So you could say that we're still not done. And a lot of people there are actually people in the flood in a couple of, of the neighborhoods that were flooded, who have never done anything to their homes. Because they wanted to make sure that there was um, a rebuilding of, 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 there was a building of of proper mitigation. But I also think that the uh, tax base of the uh, in neighborhoods that were impacted plummeted because the value of the homes plummeted.
0: So, British Columbia looking to other jurisdictions that have gone through something similar—Calgary for the floods, or maybe New Zealand because of that devastating earthquake. But you know, if we're looking for lessons learned, um, some some good points that you're making here. But a question for both of you: You know, is there something that? you wish that would have been done differently, looking back now almost a decade later. Uh, obviously, a lot of success, and I'll stock, start with you on this one, Robbie. Um, you talked about the collaboration and having all of those kinds of necessary resources for individuals and businesses that needed it. But with the uh, with the benefit of hindsight and almost a decade out, is there anything that could have been done differently that, that we could take and learn?
2: Yeah, and you might be surprised what I'm going to say um, about this because it's not something a social worker would normally bring to the table. But I think the biggest learning in this, it was around disaster planning and making sure that all the required systems were in place for that disaster planning. That began during the flood, and we've now, and the Calgary Emergency Management Association actually created um, a series, took the learnings of the flood and created a series of systems that are actively engaged in meeting now. So our organization, Coward Counseling Center is part of uh, one of the subcommittees that looks at meeting the needs of vulnerable people in our community and we've been meeting regularly since the pandemic began and that kicked in almost immediately as soon as, a, um, as uh, an emergency uh, situation was declared in Calgary and we were looking at how do we help people in um, who don't speak English as a first language? How do we engage people? What are the needs of people during the pandemic who were locked at home? How do you help seniors who who need food and couldn't get out of their homes to get. So all of those places. So I think the coordination that came through citywide disaster planning that included all major infrastructure, citywide infrastructure and the social services community and the medical community were some of the greatest learnings and the greatest gifts of the flood.
1: So I just wanted to add that, uh, you know, the uh, the University of Calgary was also involved. You know, we had people uh, flooding into McMahon Stadium to offer their services and the coordination of where the volunteers needed to go to help people uh, immediately deal with what they were uh, what they were faced with either at home or in their businesses uh, the university of calgary's haskin school of business had and they helped ad- offer advice on insurance claims there was uh, you know pro bono law alberta was offering legal counsel there was a lot of you know the, the post secondary the you know university of calgary came into this this response as well but what was really incredible was how People came together. Corporate Calgary gave their employees time off and said, "You've got ten days, two weeks paid leave to go and help somebody that you need, that you know needs help." And so people were just basically going from house to house, helping whoever they needed to help in order to, you know, muck out their basements, try and get them to do you help them dry things out, um, you know, reinstall sump pumps. You name it. It was really. At the end of the day, it became a very interesting community building exercise because people were in parts of the city that they never go to.
0: So allowing the structure, uh, or I guess the process even, the system, if you will, so community can come together.
1: Yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. And and, it was facilitated, like I said, the University of Calgary through at McMahon Stadium. There was all sorts of activities to sort of allocate resources appropriately, but also corporate Calgary just said, you know what, we don't need you in the office. We need you helping your fellow Calgarians. Don't worry about coming into work. Just go do that.
0: That's a fantastic initiative. Um, I know a lot of people have been out in the Fraser Valley and up in the Southern Interior trying to help out their friends and family. But for the business community and employers to encourage uh, their folks to take time to help others. is uh, It's a fantastic learning.
1: Yeah, no, and it was, and I think, you know, not only that, it sort of speaks to that need for purpose. And so when you recognize that your, your company's really embedded in, the, in not just from a corporate perspective, but from a community perspective, that's a really strong message to your employees in terms of how you see yourself as a company and what that means to be part of your community. I want to come back to you for a second, Robbie,
0: because you you mentioned something important about emergency management. When we start to come out of this uh, disaster more in the coming weeks and and we get the immediate needs of the communities met, there will be a a shift of focus to emergency preparedness and emergency management. And you made a good point that it's something that is like muscle memory. You have to keep working at it. It's not a plan that you make once and then put it on the shelf.
2: That's very true. And for example, we developed an emergency uh, continuity business plan for our organization. So when uh, when we it looked like on March 13th that things were we were moving towards a lockdown, our organization pulled out our plan and said, "What can we use to inform what we're doing now?" So we had a tool to use. We use that tool, we're actually rewriting it now based on the learnings of the last 21 months and I'm sure it'll shift again with what happens in the next few months. And as I've said to my staff a couple of times, we haven't had playbooks for these things before. You know, there's no resource we can go to, to say, what do you do in a flood? Or what do you do in a major fire? Or what do you do in a pandemic? And now at least we've all as a community learn, have tools to be able to better manage um, these types of situations, whether you're in the nonprofit sector, the charitable sector, the business sector, I think people are way better equipped now than they were in the spring of 2013.
1: Can I just add something mm-hmm. to that was, you know, so Calgary had the flood, obviously, but Fort McBurray had the fires. And so, you know, Alberta's just had it, our responses as a community and as a as a government too have been tested uh, quite uh, quite steadily since 2013.
0: You really have. And, and, you know, I really appreciate your, your thoughts and insights. Uh, And as we close off this conversation, I would love for you to think about any words of wisdom or advice for those business leaders who are, are listening in and, and wondering, you know, how to help their, their fellow individuals and businesses, or how to prepare for the next disaster. What would you have to say? I'll start with you, Robbie.
2: I think if, as a business leader, you're saying, even a nonprofit leader, if you're saying, we really need to help, then find a way to do that and let people go and do what they need because they'll be stronger, more engaged employees if they feel they've been able to contribute um, to this effort. Yeah, great, great perspective, Deborah.
1: No, I, I agree. I think you know it takes a village to, to 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 come together. We need to we need to support each other in times of, of crisis, and we really need when people are facing these kinds of issues. There are so many things that have to happen and they're so upended by what they have to face and the enormity of it all. To have somebody helping and helping navigate, connect the dots, find ways to help them get the insurance coverage they need, find the way to get the food delivered to someone or to uh, deal with insurance related claims. The insurance piece was actually very cumbersome for a lot of people and that was extremely frustrating. So There's so many ways that people can come and support. It doesn't have to be sitting in a basement, mucking it out or doing the physical labor. There's so many other pieces that have to come together. But Robbie's absolutely right. Uh, The corporate sector, business leaders need to recognize that people are affected in different ways and they really need to be uh, enabled to to help in whatever way they can. If that means uh, not being at work for a while, that's 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 okay. It's been a tough time already. And let's just um, not uh, add any constraints.
0: Well, Deborah and Robbie, I'd like to thank you for helping us out by sharing your experiences and perspective um, from 2013. Uh, it was really, really great conversation, and I think there's a lot that we can take away from it. So, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And good luck. We'll be uh, we're cheering and whatever we can mm-hmm. do. Uh, we're here. I mean, we do have a lot of institutional memory, and uh, at the end of the day, we have to help each other out.
0: And I want to thank our amazing members who are working to support those impacted communities and restore the critical infrastructure that was damaged, as well as those who have made financial contributions to organizations like the Canadian Red Cross, the BCSPCA, and food banks across the province. And if you haven't done so already, I encourage everyone who's in a position to do so to consider donating to these organizations.